0: My name is Lou, and I'm a very grateful member of a worldwide fellowship called Al-Anon. If no one has told you that they love you today, I'd like to be the first to tell you that I love you. This is something I've learned in Al-Anon, is to express my feelings. So I have learned to love people that I've never met before. I'd like to just uh, thank the committee for inviting me because I've never been down here on the at the dam before, so this is quite an experience. And I brought a friend of mine with me, and so we had to go out and tour the colleges because she had never been down here either. So this has turned out to be a good day. Well, they say you should tell how it was, what happened, and how it is now. I'm from a very small family. It's only two of us, my sister and I, and I happened to be the baby. Everyone say I was, I was four, but I don't think so. I was born in Tennessee, Clifton, Tennessee, it's out in the woods between Nashville and Memphis. You can hardly see it on the map, so you know it's a very small place. I've been around alcohol all of my life, or it's far back as I can remember. My father used to drink a lot. And, uh, well, I, you know, was around other people drinking too, but I just thought it was normal for people to drink like that. But since I've been in Al-Anon, you know, I've been looking back on my life and I begin to wonder about that. So I used to wonder, I wonder if my dad is an alcoholic. But now I don't have to wonder about that anymore because he's not with us anymore. But that was quite an experience, though, just thinking about that. And uh, I stayed in Little Rock. Well, my, we lived back in the country, well, it was back on the hill. Like, we lived on one hill, and my grandparents lived on another hill across the highway, across the road. And it was hollering distance, so we'd always run across, or we could, could holler across over there uh my mother and father really didn't get along too well. And uh, they separated a lot. But my father, when he started drinking, he would always get out and go look for her. And for so many times, he was fortunate enough to find her. And when he would bring her back, then that's when the arguing and the fighting would begin. And... Uh, I never will forget one day I just felt like he was doing wrong, jumping on my mother, so I was going to help her. And that was the wrong thing to do because he gave me that backhand lick, and I've never forgotten that either. (laughs) So they stayed together until I was around uh, eight years old, and my mother felt that she couldn't stay stay with him anymore. So she decided that she would leave. But she wouldn't tell us where she was going. In fact, my mother left while we, my sister and I was still in the bed. We were still asleep. And she left us a note telling us to go to our grandparents' Sea River. In fact, they had this boat they would work up and down the river carrying t- cross tires. And uh, so I started covering up then. So I've been covering up for people for a long time. So when I got to my grandmother's, I was crying, but I couldn't tell her what was wrong with me. I had to lie. I told her that it was something in my eye because I just couldn't tell her that my mother was gone. And I've always been kind of quiet and shy. So that's one thing Alana has helped me with. I'm not quite as shy anymore. Well, my sister's always been the talkative type. And so I always tell her, I said, uh, you just can't keep water on your stomach. Because she had to tell my grandmother what had happened and why we were there and why I was crying. And uh, so we, I moped around there for two or three days, and my grandmother kept talking to me. So I finally got okay. So we stayed till my father came back. And then uh, I lived between my father and my grandmother because when he would go out of town, we'd have to go back to my grandmother. And uh, my mother was gone five years before we heard from her, before I knew where she was. And a little small place where we were, we only had grade school there. So my mother finally told me, when you finish school there, that's when she left that time and came to Little Rock, and didn't want to know where she was, at least I didn't. And then when she told me, she said, when you finish school there, you can come to Little Rock and go to school. So I mean, I had something to look forward to. I was going to get out of the country and go to the city. So I really start thinking because after my mother left, I felt that I had this void in my life, but I didn't know what it was. And I felt like, well, when I go to Little Rock, then I, everything will work out okay. So when I finished school, I came to Little Rock, and I stayed there a little better than a year. I got in school, and I still wasn't happy there. I still had this void in my life. And I finally decided, well, maybe I need to go back to Tennessee, because what I was looking for here is not here. So I decided to go back to, to Tennessee, and I did. So I stayed there uh, a little better than a year, and then I decided, well, it's not here either. So I was just looking for something, and I didn't really know what I was looking for. And then I finally decided, well, I'm sure now that it's not here. So that's when I decided to come back to Little Rock. And when I did, I got back into school. And after uh, being in school for a while, I finally decided what I wanted to i going to school and maybe go And then I decided, well, if I do that, maybe I'll get a chance to do some of the things that I think that I want to do. So my mother finally said, well, if that's what you want to do, and I did. And uh, after I uh, started to work, then I started going more. And I was getting out, meeting more people. And the people that I was meeting or running around with was the type that liked to go out dancing and partying or drinking so that got to be kind of a way of life so I was enjoying it there for a while and then I met my first husband and uh, so we dated there for a while and we finally decided well maybe we should get married And uh, so I figured, well, maybe this is what I've been looking for all the time. So we got married, and we were married for uh, quite a while, and uh, things began to go bad with us. And we've always gone to church, and I've I've always felt that what I was looking for was in church, but maybe I was looking for the wrong thing. And uh, so after we got married, he started going out a lot, and he started drinking a lot, and then we knew anything, then the relationship just started getting colder and colder, so we finally ended up in a divorce. And, uh, so in this divorce, we had a property sell and everything, so, and by this time, I was working, I had a pretty good job, and, uh, so I got the house, and, I was still going to church and still looking, because I still had this void in my life. And uh, so I I finally got a car, so I said, well, now that I have a house, a car, and a pretty good job, maybe this is what I need. So things was really going well with me, and then I met a guy that uh, I dated for five years, and... Everybody thought really we were going to get married, but I knew that wasn't the right man for me because he drank too much. And uh, so I finally decided, no. I I, I kind of like to party a little too, but when it go get a little too far out like that, then I knew that was time to back off. So during this time when this relationship had begun to go sour. Then that's when I met my husband that I have now. And, uh, well, I knew that he drank, but during that time I was partying too. And I was still going to church. And uh, the sister-in-law that I have now was a member of my church, and she was an organist there. And we had become great friends, and I had heard that she had a brother, but uh, I had no idea, you know, that I would ever meet him until he came to live with her. And uh, I don't know what happened, but uh, something happened when I saw this man. And I realized then that he was going to be my husband, because... I guess I could see things in him other people couldn't and uh, just before we got married I received a phone call from the guy that I had been dating and uh, I guess he maybe felt that he knew more about this guy than I did so he wanted to give me some information so he said he heard that I was going to get married and uh, he just felt like it was something that I need to know. And I told him then, well, I was so much in love, I didn't want anyone to tell me anything, so I didn't want to hear what he had to say. So I told him, if there was anything for me to know, then I would find out when the time was right. And sure enough, I did. It didn't take me long. (laughs) So after this whirlwind relationship, about three months, we were married. Now, he tells everyone that he had to persuade me to marry him. But just to show you how sick I was, I went along with him. He told me I needed him to take care of me. And he wasn't able to take care of himself because he wasn't working half of the time. But I was so set to get him as poor husband, I just went along with him. And we wasn't married very long. Well, just about a week. And, uh, (laughs) well, we got married Christmas Eve, and you know how it is, everybody party and drink during the holidays, and, uh, he got to party in there so until, uh, he had a little job, but he wasn't able to go to work, so he just decided to party, and we couldn't afford to, to go off on a honeymoon or anything, so... He had his own honeymoon there at home by himself. (laughs) So I had to go to work. Somebody had to keep the bills going. So after we were married for about a week, then he got so sick until he had to seek help. And, uh, well, I really didn't, didn't have anybody that I felt that I could talk to about my situation because... After looking at him there drinking for about three days, I knew it was something wrong. But, uh, so I, at first I could start talking to my sister-in-law a little bit. And uh, she would listen, and things wasn't getting any better. And uh, one morning, he was in the bathroom in his usual position, and he looked up at me and he asked me to help him. And I told him, well, I know God was working in my life because I don't know where the words came from, but I told him that was something that he had to do for himself because I couldn't do it for him. And he said that's the first time he'd really thought about doing something about his life. So I guess I was just an instrument that God was using at that particular time. So he went into the uh, state hospital, and before that... I was even afraid to even drive through the hospital grounds because of the people that were walking around out there. But after he went out there, then everything changed. I was able to go out and visit with him. And uh, so he was out there uh, whatever length of time he had to stay at that particular time. And when he came home, well, I thought everything was going to be all right because he wasn't drinking. Well, see, I didn't have Al-Anon during that time. I had never heard of Al-Anon, of Alcoholics anonymous, or anything. I just thought he just had a drinking problem, you know, and I just felt like, okay, all he need to do is stop drinking. But I found out that wasn't right either. And uh, so after he he came home, and uh, for a while, things went along fine. And then, well, it was fine with me, but it wasn't with him. And when he started drinking, he likes to travel. <laughs> so I think he has an interest in the Greyhound bus <laughs> because that was the way he—that was the way he traveled during his drinking days. So it wasn't anything for me to come home and he would be gone. And uh, all I would have to do was be look in the closet, and if his clothes were gone, I knew he was off and running again. And uh, so every once in a while, I'd go back to my sister-in-law, talk to her about the situation. She would talk with me for a while, and then she would get to the place that she like she didn't want to hear. And things, well, he'd stay gone sometimes for a month, sometimes a week, two weeks. Then he'd come home, and he'd do real well there for a while, and then he's off and running again. And uh, so I got to the point once where I felt like my sister-in-law didn't want to hear about it. And, you know, after looking back on it and thinking what had happened in, in her life, well, he was with her first before I married him, and she knew what the situation was. So I felt like she didn't want to hear because she didn't want that problem back again. So anyway, I just had to kind of toughen it out by myself. And uh, so I finally decided, well, I don't want anyone to know what's going on in my life. So when he would go off on his little trip, I would tell everybody that he was off working. I wouldn't ever admit that he was off drinking or drunk or anything like that, because I didn't want them to know. And then... I would say, "What happened? What did I do? I would wonder about myself, and I would wonder, Why would God let me get into something like this? So you see, before hour nine, I was questioning God, why me? Why did I get into something like this? And then, uh when we finally he would finally come back, and we would do pretty good for a while, and then he got sick again. So, he had to go back to the hospital again, and this time, I just felt like that I had had it. I just couldn't continue like I was going, and uh, so, when he uh, got ready to go to the hospital the second time, I think he felt, he knew how I was feeling about it, and so he decided to go by my mother's house, and he talked with her. And he asked her to tell me to come to see him. Well, I still had in the back of my mind, this is it, because I just can't go through this anymore. And uh, so after a while, I finally decided to go see him. And uh, he would write letters and tell me that he was doing something about his life, but I didn't believe him. And I was started going to church and trying to do what I thought was right to do because I felt like I'm out here all alone, nobody but me and God, because I really had to kind of rededicate my life because I felt like I had nobody else to turn to. And uh, when he got ready to get out of the hospital this particular time, I I know God was working in both of our lives because they would not release him until I would find him out. And... He had to call three times for me to come out and get him, and each time I was just praying about it. And after that third call, I finally decided to let go of it. And I finally said, well, God, it's in your hands. And if it's for us to stay together, you'll have to work it out because I'm giving up on it. And, well, I finally went on out and got him, and things began to work out for us. But we still didn't know, I still didn't know anything about Al-Anon. And he didn't know. I think while he was in the hospital that last time, he was introduced to AA. But after he got home, he did not get involved too much. And after he was home for a while, uh, he said, you know, he just stayed around the house. And I kept saying, don't you think it's time for you to go find a job? And he would tell me, he said, I'm not able yet. Well, I didn't understand that. I just felt like, well, he's sober. He should be able to go. But later on, I began to understand what he meant. And uh, so things began to work out after he got his job. And then uh, at that time, we only had one car. So he started going to meetings down at the uh, 24-hour club. So on my way to work, I'd drop him off for his meeting, and then he'd come on back home. And then uh, he finally decided that maybe he would start going to the conventions. That was during the time when they were at the Marin Hotel. And I was so involved in my church, and not wanting people to know what had been happening in my life until I decided I'd better go to church, because if I didn't, they wouldn't know where I was or what was going on and uh so this went on for about three years, and I finally decided, well, maybe I could miss church one Sunday because the only time he could go was on Sunday morning because he was working uh as a waiter and he was working at night and after uh the third after he had gone three years, I decided I would go with him, and I did. And that was the first time I had heard anything about Al-Anon. As the convention was over, one lady came up to me and she said, Why don't you start a group? And I said, a group? She said, yeah. I said, why don't you start a group? We'll come out and help you. Well, I've been in Al-Anon now 20 years. And at that particular time, it wasn't too many Al-Anon meetings. And uh, nobody would tell me where they were or when they were being helped. And i just said, well, okay, maybe I will. Well, I didn't want her to know that I didn't know what she was talking about. (laughs) And she didn't try to explain it, and she didn't have any literature to give me. So I just went on home after that, and she did the same thing, and I didn't see her anymore. And the next year... I went with Joe again to the convention that Sunday morning. And I met another lady, a different lady, because the other lady wasn't there that time. And this lady did the same thing. She said, why don't you start a group? She said, we'll come out and help you start a group. And she didn't explain to me either what it was all about. And I said, well, okay, uh, I'll think about it. And uh, then the the next year, I think it was, I met the third lady. And this lady, I guess she felt that I really needed Aladon, or she felt sorry for me. And she decided she would take a chance on me. She would take me to her group. She didn't have any litter and she didn't really explain it to me too much. But anyway, she said it was a group for the family. And if I would promise her I could go, I could find the place that she would meet me at the door. So she gave me the address and she asked me, she said, now, do you think you can find it? And I said, yes, I think I can. And this was why the 120 and a half was meeting on 13th Street. Our nons were meeting upstairs, and the A's were meeting downstairs. She said, okay. She said, if you promise me you will be there, I will be at the door. She said, and I will go in with you. And she met me at the door and went in with me. And she did this for three weeks. Her name was Cassie. I never will forget Cassie. And she went in with me for three weeks. And I really can't tell you too much that I heard at that first meeting, maybe the first three meetings, but I knew it was something there that I wanted, and I was determined to go back because I didn't feel, I felt that I was accepted there, and I found something there that I hadn't been able to find anyplace else. So after that third meeting, I said to Cassie, you don't have to meet me anymore. I think I can make it on my own now. And uh, so after that, I started going. She didn't have to meet me. But the love and the fellowship that I found there was overwhelming. And it was something that I'd been looking for. I didn't know where I was going to get it, but after I found it, I knew that was it. So I didn't really have to go and start that group that they were asking me to start. (laughs) Cassie took a chance on me. And I've always been grateful to Cassie. But later on in years, I did start a group after House started. I started a group up there. And uh, with another lady, a uh, fella that was working with Joe, then his wife was named Jackie. And she knew a little about Al-Anon. So we finally got that group started. And uh, things really uh, began to work out, because that gave me something to look forward to. And then after a while, then. Jackie began to fade out, but I felt like this was something that we needed. And I was determined to hang in there and to be there just in case someone else showed up. And I think by feeling that way about it and not being as dedicated as I was, that's really when I began to really get the feel of Al-Anon and to realize what it was all about. So then I had two meetings a week to go to. So I would go to two and a half on Monday nights and then surrender house on Saturday nights. And things had really been working out good for me. And uh, then uh, well I got into service. And when I got into service, it looked like things really started turning over. And I guess that's one reason I decided to get Peggy involved, because I got kind of coached into service like that. because. I started out at my home group first, and then I worked on up uh, from the GR to the DR and from that on to the delegate. And then when I got to be delegate, I really I really had to rededicate myself because the work that I had to do, and I think I did more reading during the three years I was a delegate than I've ever done in my life. Then I don't think I'll ever do that much again, but uh, anyway, it was quite an experience. And, uh, when I found out more about Al-Anon, uh, that, wh- when I first came in, they wasn't stressing sponsorship too much. But after I really got involved and got me a sponsor and started working on the steps and applying them to my life, then things began to change. And in working the steps and applying them to my life, then I could see a different view. I stop looking at the other person, the alcoholic or the other people in my life, and start putting the the focus on me. And once you get to the point you put the focus on you, you don't have time to take the other person's inventory because you have a full-time job. (laughs) And this is what I'm trying to practice every day, is to take the focus off of the other people and putting it on me. And this is what I think our program is all about. And once you work the 12 steps and apply them to your life, I don't feel there is no way that you can keep from having a spiritual awakening. And I, I, even before Al and I, I, feel like that I had taken that first step. Because when I released Joe and I let go and asked God to take over, I felt like that, that was really when I, was, I had really worked that uh, first step. And in working all of them and applying them to my life, I really think I like the 11th step the best because of the prayer and meditation. Because I've always prayed, but I didn't know too much about meditating. And I had to learn to do that. And prayer is when you are communicating with God, your high power, whom I choose to call God. And meditation is when you're listening and once you can meditate and listen for his answer, then you don't have to worry too much about trying to tell God what to do because you will have a better view of life and better view of what God can do for you. And I've learned, too, that you can pray anytime, but you have to have faith. And our program is all about faith, hope, and love. And the greatest of these three is love. And that's one thing I really try to practice. In fact, that's one thing I have found in this fellowship is love. And learning how to live and be happy. Because since I've been in Al-Anon, I have found a balance in my life. I'm happier now than I've ever been before. And this little house I was telling you I had when we got married, It's not only a house anymore, it's a home, and we are happy there. Al-Anon is my life, and I don't know what I would do without Al-Anon anymore. And I feel that our program is all about living, learning to live, and learning to let other people live. And I use the slogans a lot in my life. And I was just thinking and reading and meditating the other day, and it came to me about the healing process that we go through. And that's what our program is all about. And I was thinking too about the material that I would use to heal. You know, a lot of times we don't understand what we mean like healing, but this is like to heal the body, the mind, and the soul, and relationships. And I was thinking the other day, like, uh, my mother is not the touching type. And it just dawned on me that maybe she doesn't know how, maybe she was always maybe she brought up like that, so I felt like in 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 trying to work my alanon on pro in the best of my ability that the person that realized that something should be done about a relationship, then it's up to that person to do that, and i said well what 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 material would you use to to heal a relationship and uh so I finally started thinking about it, and I said, well, I think love would be the first thing, forgiveness would be the second, and the third thing would be accepting. learning to accept people without trying to change them. And that's what I'm trying to do today. And uh, so I decided one day after I had been out of town, I came home, and I said, well, I'm going to hug and kiss my mother and see how she reacts react to that. And I did, and she acted as if I had given her $100. She just kind of melted away and decided to hug and kiss me too. So that go to show you, you have to put out some effort to a relationship or to something that you feel that needs changing. And that's one thing I, I, I say about Al-Anon. It will change you if you work the 12 steps and apply them to your life. And I'm just so grateful to be a part of this fellowship, and I got statistics the other day on our Al-Anon, and I found out that we have around 27,000 groups worldwide, so I have a big family now, and I'm just so grateful for being a part of. I don't know what I would do if something happened that I didn't have Al-Anon, and I'm just hoping that I will never become complacent, And feel that I don't need Al-Anon anymore. Because even if I miss a meeting, I can feel myself going back the other way. It's something that I need every week. It's something that I have to practice. And I know I am grateful for having it. So I have to learn to reach out to other people and to share with them. So I feel that if there's ever anyone out there that needs help, I want to be ready and be able to help them. I want to be there and to let them know what Al-Anon has done for me. I feel like that uh, there's so much that I haven't said that I plan to say. But if there's any new people here, I'm hoping that you will not give up on Al-Anon. Give yourself a chance. And just because your spouse is in AA, it doesn't mean that you're an Al-Anon. You have to put forth some effort. You have to go to your meetings and read your Al-Anon literature every day. This might seem hard, but once you start, it isn't hard at all. It's a way of life. And I'm just so grateful for having an opportunity to be a part of. I feel like that... Uh, this uh old man, uh man that was playing at a cathedral and uh after he had played there for so long then the people there felt that it was time to get a younger person a new person and this was really a big letdown for him but that just go to let you know that we have to learn to share. And as this fellow that was playing, the old fellow that was playing in this cathedral, said, "I must go and play this organ one more time." He was very sad about it, and I feel that if I couldn't go to Al-Anon, I would be sad too. But he went back and played this organ one more time, and by that time, this young man came up. And when he did, he came up and he said, May I have the key to the organ? And he hesitated there for a minute, and he finally gave him the key. And then he proceeded to the door. And just as he was ready to, to go out, he had his hand on the doorknob. This young musician started playing, and he stopped to listen. And he said to himself, What if I had not given him the key? I feel the same way about Cassie. What if Cassie had not given me the key? I don't know where I would be today, but I will forever be grateful to Cassie. And I would just like to say thank you very much, and I know there were plenty of other uh, things that I was going to say, but..." I didn't get around to it, but thank you for being here and thank you for asking me.